American sentence. After Allen Ginsberg, the Bardic Basement would elevate you to a higher perspective. In this month's podcast, we have Julia Sawley, William Milligan, John Gibbs, and Jemima Hughes. First up is Julia Thorley. I first encountered Julia at the Ketterbell Connection in Kettering. Julia Thorley is a freelance editor and writer, as well as being a published author in her own right. You can get in touch with Julia via her social media and her website, where you will find details of all of her books and ventures. Poetry is not something that comes naturally to me, but over the last few years I've dabbled and I've been working hard to improve my technique with the help of some people better skilled in the art than me. The first piece I'd like to read to you grew out of an exercise I did with the Weaving Words group run by Cavzabel Ambler. It's called Betula Pendula. Plant me under a silver birch, where the tree is firmly rooted but doesn't strangle my feet, where I am fed but not overwhelmed, warmed by the sun but not scorched by heat. Sheltered from excessive rain but still quenched, give me the perfect conditions for growth and watch me thrive. Or leave me where I am, anchored with my arms spread and my fingers reaching upwards, face turned to the elements, creating the perfect conditions for my growth. Watch me thrive. The next two are poems I wrote for inclusion in an anthology put together by the Corby Collective Poets. It was called Dogs Must Be Carried and the theme was kind of tales for our time. The first one is called The Gap. The engineers knew, had warned them the bridge was built on shaky ground. Firm the foundations first, they said. Check for cracks and tend to the maintenance, they said. But the traders knew better. Travelled back and forth across the border line. The pillars are strong, they said. It will be fine, they said. But it wasn't. Heavy loads became a burden. Barely their cracks appeared, expanded. Tensile supports became unstable. Travellers moved quickly. People watched but didn't understand or understood and turned away. The bridge collapsed. Traders on one bank looked at customers on the other. All they could do was wave. The second one from that anthology is The New Pied Piper. Twitching noses detect vanilla notes on the summer breeze. Enthrall to the captivating mist, unable to resist the lure of strawberries and cream, they fall in line. Desperate flautists move air but produce no tune and all too soon vapours vanish on the wind. Cigarettes bind, one habit swapped for another. This new addiction leads them on a merry dance. Following the piper, money falling from their pockets in their trance. Thank you. Okay, so the next little piece is called Animal Welfare. A little bit lighter in tone, perhaps, but it's also very much a tale of our times. Moonchild, formerly known as Brenda, snatched the sparrow from the cat's mouth. The creature's demise offended her newly acquired vegan principles. Bad girl, look what you've done, she scolded. I'll teach you a better way. She took the cat home and fed it lentils and soya milk. 
the cat died of hunger. Okay, so I do write some poetry and fiction of varying lengths, but what I really enjoy writing is creative or narrative non-fiction, often with a humorous touch. So I'd like to finish with some extracts from my book, which is called A Sparge Bag on the Washing Line. Bit of background, when my husband retired a couple of years ago, I started to keep a diary of how the experience was unfolding. I never intended to publish it, but when it was finished, I thought there were lessons in it that other people going through the same thing might appreciate. To be clear, Clive didn't know I was doing this at the time, although I did let him read the book before it was published. The women who have read the book generally say, I've got a man at home like that, while the men sympathise with him, so I'll let you make up your own mind. This is how the adventure began. 1st of June. We have arranged a weekend away in Tenby to walk a stretch of the Pembrokeshire coastal path. The journey does not go well. We have our usual conversation about the merits of Satnav, him, versus maps and road signs, me. The traffic is heavy, and by the time we take our planned break in Ross on Wye, I'm in full on toddler mode and spoiling for a fight. We stop for a sandwich which we eat leaning up against the open boot of the car. When a passerby stops and stares, I snarl at him. Know me again, would you? He is clearly taken aback by what I now admit was my unnecessary venom, and he seems rooted to the spot. I look away, petulant and possibly a little ashamed of myself. We find an independent coffee shop, where I am further enraged when a woman brings a hideous pug inside, that's bad enough, but then she picks it up and kisses it before perching it on her lap so its mouth and balls are at table and therefore food height. I bite my tongue. We do eventually make it to Tenby, of course, and the B&B is charming. There is another slight wobble when we set off in search of dinner and find the town is full of families with squawking children and gaggles of hefty, underdressed girls out on the lash but we eventually settle on fish and chips and, thankfully, disaster is averted. 19th of August. We are in Cornwall, driving along, enjoying the scenery. Suddenly, Clive says, Oh, look, a winery. I mishear this as, Oh, look, a library. And there, in a nutshell, is the chalk and cheese on which our relationship is built. We go to Godolphin Gardens, a National Trust property, where a wonderful guide takes us around the grounds, regaling us with tales of a hapless builder called Malcolm, who was responsible for huge dollops of concrete on the slate roofs and otherwise beautiful stonework of the listed building. Later in the tea shop, an unpleasant family allowed their son, Austin, to open and close the door time after time after time. I'm itching to clip him round the ear, but Clive distracts me with the thought that perhaps the lad is missing his brother Healy, or possibly Allegro. 14th of January. Clive is enjoying reruns of Hornblower on TV. This leads him to announce his intention to start doffing an imaginary cap in thanks or greeting as appropriate, in the manner of a sea captain in a tricorn hat. This is either an affectation or a touch of old world charm. You decide. 25th of April. Clive sets up camp in the back garden with bags of compost and a mountain of plant pots. By the end of the day, he has sown 13 courgette seeds. Not unreasonable, you might think, but each plant is likely to yield at least one fruit a day for up to two months. 
That's potentially 780 courgettes. He's also started off 10 butternut squash, that's up to 40 fruit, and 12 pumpkins, at least 2 fruit per plant. Oh, and 22 sweet corn plants. I remind him that there are only two of us to feed. And finally, there won't be a second volume of this diary, but it's perhaps worth mentioning that just days after I finished writing it, Clive sliced through his leg with a Stanley knife, necessitating 13 stitches in his thigh, and he came through the casement window onto the balcony of our holiday flat with such graceless determination that I laughed so much I couldn't breathe. Thank you very much. You can find links to Julia's social media in the description to this episode. Next up is John Gibbs, who I first met at the Ketterbell Connection in Kettering. These are one-take recordings he recorded at Parlour Studio in 2019. Slipstream is about breaking away from a bad situation and or people and making a new start and trying hard to control your emotions and not taking the path of least resistance. Reflections and new directions, diversions, trying to focus, believing can be deceiving, trying to trust. Clear of lust Magnetism can pull you around Gravity can pull you down Listen closely and follow the sound the passion by which you were bound by which you were bound sometimes it feels like I'm caught in a slipstream do you know what I mean caught in a slipstream sometimes Discerning 
we're still learning And time is ticking The world keeps turning Magnetism can pull you around Gravity can pull you down Listen closely and follow the sound Release the passion by which you are bound by which you were bound Sometimes it feels like I'm caught in a slipstream Do you know what I mean? Caught in a slipstream Sometimes there's no about contemplating or preparing to end or leave a relationship then at the point of leaving you realize feelings and you stay Or live 
the beach for you We all have dreams and aspirations and sometimes our commitments prevent us from fulfilling them. So this is a message about holding on to and not giving up on your dreams, keeping them in your sight and living them at a later date. I was also influenced by a story I read about a professional American football player who after 16 years quit his profession, rescued a dog from an animal sanctuary, bought a camper van and travelled the world. to begin Breaking away and going off grid Time for a change, it's time to explore Travel new roads and open new doors Sixteen years You've given your service In blood, sweat and tears Found a companion Who shut in a cage You rescued their soul And gave them a better life Too hard. 
to John's social media in the description to this episode. Next up is our first returning performer, William Mulligan. I'll describe him as quite a spiritual poet. I first encountered him at the second Bardic Basement event at Wellingborough Library. A True Friend May the winds of fate blow between us. May we always respect each other's heart that we remain loyal and faithful, the truest of friends right from the start. In a world of legends and cruelest fables, where liars leave their painful marks, an honest friendship always enables never to circle like hungry sharks. True is the friend Who's happiest? When you are faring good and well, not the kind that are so envious, who would their own grandmothers sell. In a time where integrity is so rare, the cost of the sacred deemed too high, a true friend is that precious gem. And that sure ain't no word of a lie. Insight What caught the light through the optics of one's brain Conjured one's mind in the ugliness of gain To seek only happiness in the value of gold Reveals a soul that's already been sold and where does love find a place to reside when the bravest hearts seek their souls to hide when all is want and foolish desire until consumed by the ravenous fire so swiftly comes the inevitable change making stranger them familiar haunts where all our dreams are out of range but a mirage where a sadness taunts To see straight through all the phoniness 
is knowing the purest of nothingness. Therein lays the ultimate truth, understood in the very moment, the self-evident natural proof, which soothes with atonement, that we are made of stardust and vision, outer or inner, there's no division. Mystic Mountain Mind The places the mind journeys, to them lost moments in time, all a kaleidoscope of emotion and the toughest mountain climb. Up here, overlooking the world, watching the ebb and flow, mindful of them illusions, the strangest of times we sow, ever knowing that nothing lasts, the sweetest song that has its end, among the cheers and joyful gasps, the saddest tunes mournfully wend, with a mystic mountain mind, intuitive and sensitive, there's an awareness to find, woefully so preventative. The Meaning of Love Do you know the meaning of love? Recognizing its different faces. It's not the obsession often called lust, which causes ruin in so many cases. It is a far gentler natural expression, seen through the eyes of a true friend. Appreciated in the pit of depression, the caring thoughts another did send. Yes, we are talking of a spiritual love, the very drive of all compassion. It need not spring from heaven above, nor from any fake social fashion but from a very human heart that's known the love and the hate in life where we take our part feeling much the existential weight love ain't no jealous attachment nor a sanctuary for one's fears it isn't something heaven sent Despite the sayings of the seers, it comes from your own sweet mind, an understanding and gratitude, keeping from ever-growing blind, is this truest urban beatitude. Last up is Jemima Hughes. I first met Jemima at the Kettlebell Connection in Kettering. Sit back and don't relax. A multi-slam winner and runner-up in the 2020 UK Slam, Jemima is a performance poet who will drag you through the mind-filled of the unorthodox. She will take you on a journey through her own experiences, providing a relatable outlet and encouraging conversation. Not the faint-hearted, but definitely from the heart. The poem you're about to hear is from her debut collection, Unorthodox. 
published with Verve Poetry Press, which is available on their website. And you can grab your signed copy on her website. Both links are in the description. Hey, so the poem I'm going to do today is my attempt at answering the question of why people stay in abusive relationships or situations. Um, it shouldn't really be a question, in my opinion. However, I even have friends who have said to me they would ask that question, and that is totally okay. Because how are we supposed to understand situations that we've never been through? Um, but on the flip side of that, there's definitely ways of us helping each other to understand situations we've never been through. And hopefully by speaking extremely openly and rhyming words on every other line, maybe it catches ears and attention and helps people to understand the answer to these questions of why people end up in these situations, why they stay in these situations, why it really is not their fault that they ended up there or that they stayed there. Um, so hopefully this poem does that. On that note, this poem that's coming up has a very real content warning of domestic abuse and sexual violence. And if it is something you don't need to listen to today or ever, please don't put yourself through it. That is absolutely fine. This is called Stay, but please remember that you don't have to. I'm going to start by telling you about New Year's Eve 2008. My first kiss. He took all words from my mouth, left me speechless then spat them at me later. Why didn't she just leave? Have you ever tried to run up a downward moving escalator? Like I said, it was New Year. Everything was new. Nothing to compare this to on the borderline of, isn't he a bit old for you? But I'm of age and he knows. It was a game of numbers he was winning. Spoiler alert, this is how the rest of the game goes. New year is new beginnings and all things good. He told me he would protect me. Believable, he looked like he could. A little bit of shelter never hurt anyone, but a lot leaves you isolated with nowhere left to run. A predator's step number one. I was taught to respect my elders. Of course I was gonna respect him. It's attractive when you meet someone who, to see you all the time, will go out on a limb. I had a kind heart. The kind of heart that should be safe on earth, but when vulnerability gets manipulated into weakness, safety crumbles along with all self-worth. He looked like he had all of the answers to my questions. Maybe because he was on Google at the time. I put him in my locket, his face trapped against mine. That should have been a sign, written in bold italics and underlined three times, but in my naive teenage dreams, I was the lucky girl he liked, so I dropped my entire life. And it shattered into pieces. He was in my blind spot and caught me off guard. I collided with him unintentionally, I thought, but he planned the wreck that left me permanently scarred and then drove my life like he'd just stolen it. I couldn't figure out his algorithms, but he taught me, so I would submit. My fingerprints are imprinted with his. And if forensics dusted them down, they would find lines connecting all of the places he left his mark. His eyes told me not to speak. That I couldn't leave, that he was angry, that it was my fault it had to get this dark. The lies coated his tongue as seamlessly as saliva and fell from his mouth as naturally as childhood teeth. 
In front of others I was carried in the palms of his hands. When they looked away, he kept me under the soles of his feet and walked all over me. He's a joke and not one I wanted to tell to people. The puppet master tightened the strings and the storyline became progressively evil. Why did I let it happen? Well, I lose patience with me too, so I thought he had a point. The only future I'd planned was with him and he knew it was his to exploit. I'd become a reflection of him. And isn't it bad luck to break a mirror? He took the most sacred thing and how powerful he was became instantly clearer. Sat in the toilet. I had my blood on my hands. That's how it felt, you know, like I was responsible for tainting my body with his commands. A mutated version of myself. Frankenstein's monster. A body inevitably stronger, but a mindset to match I was unable to conjure because how do you scream for help when you can't even breathe? How could I speak out when my voice made him seethe? I listened to him as though he never told me to shut up. From a shelf full of bone china mugs, I was his paper cup. He'd empty me, throw me away like a convenient slut, grind me into the ground alongside every cigarette, but he told me what I could or couldn't wear, judged me on whether I had or hadn't removed hair, turned wipers off in rain, lights off at night to remind me to be scared, refused to take me home if wanting to leave was something I shared. So I concealed my emotions, but he heard my internal screams. He'd apologise insincerely for outbursts with a smirk like the cat who'd got the cream. Why didn't I leave? I forgot how to be in control. What would I do if he wasn't? He was the only comfort after violence. Somehow I found peace in his nonchalance. I couldn't imagine a life without him. So maybe there wasn't one. Every room, his, every face, his getting away wasn't an option. I remember. My dad asked in an embrace, don't you love me anymore? I hoped my agitation told him I was scared because look what love had caused. Then he wriggled into my comfort zone, made me shudder and withdraw. My eyelashes caught tears for me whilst I detached from the rest of the world. Physical contact with anyone by now left my toes curled. I played the hand I was dealt, knowing if I bluffed well enough I'd make it through another round, numb to being beaten time and time again into the ground. When I tried to fold, he threatened to take his own life. His blood on my hands as well as mine when he's the one holding the knife. I had to be on his good side and that had become my state of play, in case his threats spread further to anyone else who might get in his way. But one day, I realised... I had nothing left to risk. Everything was lost. So as I felt like giving up, I reached for the next hand that came along despite the potential cost. I had a light bulb moment. And then it exploded over my head. But I'd been to hell and back, so why wouldn't I run through glass to escape the burning dread? I have to sleep in it, but he made my bed. Now I'm burning the sheets. He tried to keep me prisoner, left me trapped inside my head, and yet he gets to be free. It's an earthquake that shook my life, and I can't stop the aftershocks. I trusted him, and he betrayed me. I don't think my trust will ever be unlocked, and it's like living with a sinkhole in the middle of your home. 
you learn to live with it, around it, avoid it. He plays the villain in every movie I watch, regardless of the atrocities they commit. I've forgiven so much, but it isn't my fault I can't forget. In fact, it isn't my fault at all. He's a joke. And I'm going to tell him over and over again until he gains no reaction anymore. I'll say it on repeat. Because his eyes told me not to speak. You can find links to Jemima's social media in the description to this episode. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and share this podcast around. And another thing. You can support The Bollock Basement by going to our coffee page. Thank you. You can donate by looking in the description or going to our website.